It's good to be back here in the church here in the mountains. We always enjoy the change of scenery from the wilderness of Lucerne Valley to come up here and see the pines. We are very blessed with a lot of water where we are at, 400 feet below us. And we do have a little oasis in our yard with 27 fruit trees. And we enjoy the greenery from that. But coming up in the mountains and seeing the pines is always very extra special. Jonathan, there was one thing that we have a lot of thanksgiving for. He was asking for what we want to praise God for. This last week in our ministry marked the 110th country of someone using our website. And so it was a milestone for us in our ministry prophecy research. So there's individuals from 110 different countries using the research and work we are doing. And so we were quite thrilled with that. All of Christianity is based upon hope. Hope is a positive state of mind, and perhaps for many here, I hope for many here, maybe everyone here, it is also an emotion. Hope imagines a positive outcome, but hope is deeply actuated. Hope is deeply stimulated, it's strengthened, it's matured when a crisis occurs. Something unexpected occurs that's negative, and then we reach out at that particular moment in time to have hope for an answer for that trial, for that problem. It is interesting that faith is one's kind of hope or a form of hope. Hebrews tells us about that in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things, what? Hope for. The evidence of things not seen. So as Christians, we have a faith that's reaching beyond us. We're reaching on beyond our time reaching beyond today that we want something better. We haven't experienced the outcome yet, but we believe, we pray, that good will come out of that future hope. Bible faith and hope are a system of Christian power. And this is demonstrated a little bit in the story we have in the Bible Peter, James, and John were invited to go up into the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw the glory of Jesus Christ and talked to Moses and Elijah. They listened to them dialogue. And as they were coming down out of that mountain, a large company of individuals had gathered around the remaining disciples. And there was commotion. There was chaos. Something was going on that wasn't quite right. The disciples were unsuccessful, as I know you know the story, in casting out a demon from a gentleman's son. The Jewish scribes were taking advantage of this, full advantage by creating a situation 
of humiliating the rest of those disciples. The father of the boy, in great emotional agony, blurted out to Jesus, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. There's a crisis. There's a cry. There's a hope that's being expressed. And so this father is crying this hope out to Jesus Christ. But he said something that was problematic. He said, if thou canst do anything. So this man was putting a qualifier on Jesus Christ. And that's a challenge in our understanding what faith represents and what Christian hope really means and, and should mean to us. Jesus then decided to do something very fascinating. He didn't address the doubt, but he wanted to strengthen that doubt a little bit further. So a lesson of great depth could come out with this gentleman. He decided to take more time and delay this man's request. He decided he was going to start asking this man questions about his boy. What happened next is profound. It enlightens our view of the depth of hope and really of faith. The father is desperate. This is a situation of despair and chaos in the family and in the community because of this boy's problem. Are the doubts of the father justified? Let's carefully look at this as we analyze this story. This has been going on for years. The church elders take no pity and blame such an illness on the parents. Maybe the parents are guilty and they're living under this kind of blame. The disciples are unable to help. And Jesus is now delaying with questions. Interesting, isn't it? So in the dynamics of what is going on, we can focus on this man's if, if you can do it, if you can heal him, I want you to go ahead and do it. But this father is like all of us. There are so many reasons for us to not understand the hope that we should have, not understand the depth of the faith we should really have in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is pushing this issue to the nth degree with this gentleman for his sake, for the boy's sake, and also for our sake, that we can understand the dynamics more. From a human standpoint, it seems justified. From a divine standpoint, there was something lacking in the Father, and the Jesus knew it. And then Jesus finally, after asking several questions, he threw it back on the Father with an if question. Ah, this is a lesson for us. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Suddenly, the whole issue, the coin has been turned on the opposite side. 
Your hope cannot be mingled, what Jesus is saying. Your hope cannot be mingled with doubt. It is heaven. It, if it is, rather, heaven's help can't be activated. The issue is doubt in Jesus. Doubt in divine power. So our hope has to be a pure hope. It has to be a matured hope. It has to be a hope that our trust in what Jesus can do, our prayers can be answered, is pure and his will can be accomplished. We may be uncertain of God's will, but we never should be uncertain about God's love and power. One of the principles that we have here in this story. Analyzing the distinction further, when a teenage girl begins to get a hope chest, many don't, many do, but when they get a hope chest, she dreams of having a home. She hides away things in that chest that are part of her future life. That hope begins to turn to faith when a man comes into her life and starts to date her. When someone of the opposite sex starts to notice her, that hope is now turned to faith. Why? She now has evidence that something wonderful might occur. So this is a little transitional understanding of hope into faith. Faith in the Bible, faith in Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 1 and verse 6, is based upon evidences. God always makes sure of that. We may not know God's complete will, but we have hope that he will do the best for us because we have evidences that he will. It occurred in Lake Erie some years ago. Maybe some of you have heard this story, I don't know. A pleasure boat was sinking several hundred feet from the shoreline of Lake Erie. Everybody on that boat could swim except 24 people. A man who was a strong swimmer and a lifeguard happened to be watching, he wasn't on duty at that time, but happened to be watching from the beach. He took his excess clothes off and plunged into the cold water, and he reached the sinking boat. Those remaining passengers suddenly had hope as they saw him approaching the boat. Maybe there's hope for us. The other passengers were already swimming to the shore. He took one lady and got her to the shore. He arrived back at the boat and got another. Their hope now was turning to faith. Maybe I now will be one that will be taken to shore. You see what's happening? The dynamics of this. The return of this man after putting someone on the shore was evidence 
that that faith can now be stimulated. And so the man came back to the boat again, five people. Ten people were now safe on the shore. He was getting tired. He rested a few minutes, then plunged back into the water. Thirteen, fifteen, seventeen people were now on the shore. He was exhausted. He thought, I just can't rescue anymore. I'm so tired. I'm afraid I might even drown. But he rested a few more minutes. He saw the sinking boat. It was getting lower and lower. Those that were remaining now are clinging to the edge of this boat. Number 18. Number 19. Number 20. And he collapsed on the beach. Could it be like the shepherd going out in the wild night to rescue one sheep? He was a Christian. God, how can I do this? I don't have enough strength. But he worked his way back into the water once again. 22, 23. There's one more person. One more person, and he's barely moving his arms as he's swimming. The individual now at the boat is clinging to the boat, what's remaining. His hope had turned to faith. Now he's having fear. A transition, a change, a dynamic that possibly could come in. And he's watching this man, this lifeguard. He's watching, he's watching. That is his only hope. He's putting his faith in that lifeguard that he will make it to him. But he has this butterfly feeling in his stomach, a little fear. Maybe, can he make it? Will I be rescued? The rescuer worked his way back. His body was chilled. As those of you that if you know the Great Lakes, the water in all those Great Lakes is always very cold. He finally obtained the 24th person. He had trouble getting to shore. People waded in as far as they possibly could. By then, a lot of people were watching. And they reached out, and they pulled both of them to shore, to safety. And then he collapsed unconscious. 24 people were saved. The Savior is now unconscious. He wasn't until, it wasn't until several hours passed that he awoke in the hospital. Eventually the doctors permitted vis visitors and one of those visitors was the local newspaper, a journalist. The story made headlines, the community knew that they had a hero, but something sad, very sad happened. Weeks later, the lifeguard talked more of his story. He said something that I think you here today will never forget this story when I share this one little item with you. He said, 
nobody ever came to thank me. Isn't that interesting? He was the savior of these people. He saved their lives. At the risk of his life being lost, no one ever thanked him. And I think there's a great parallel to Jonathan praising God. Jesus came to planet Earth. This is a sinking ship. And he put out a life preserver, and each person here this morning has a life preserver right here in front of you. And the question is, do you thank Jesus Christ? Do you grab a hold of that life preserver? Will you let Jesus and his life preserver save you? Sometimes it seems like the life preserver gets a little further away. Most of the time that's because we have pushed it away. The Bible is rivet, has a riveting array of narratives that describe the workings between good and evil. Every human being fits into one of the sagas that's in the Bible. Jesus Christ condescended to humanity to battle with evil, to battle with the sinking ship, to battle with the huge waves that keep crashing over individuals. And Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit, was victorious. He then offered that covenant of grace that we talked about a little bit in Sabbath school this morning. A golden thread of hope binds the fabric of truth together that Jesus will come on. Another rescue mission. This time it'll be physical. Jesus came the first time physically to establish for us a spiritual rescue mission. And our hope is that we will have a physical rescue mission very soon and very quickly. To all those who accept Jesus, to all those who have faith in what Jesus has done for them, there's a way to be restored. I love that word, restored. Restored back into the family of God. And that's what Jesus is craving for. Adoption papers have already been signed. Probate proceedings are almost completed. You know what the final step in probate proceedings are? The final step is to prove you are the heir. The judge can't act upon those probate proceedings until you show you are an heir. That's part of the concept we often forget about. God's family seal is ready to be placed on our foreheads. Just have, we just have to accept the gift of faith, grace, and salvation. It's in front of us. God is saying, take it. It's yours free. Just grab onto that. Well, there's a lot of power in hope. Something happens to us with the spark of, when the spark of hope ignites, it's going to get better. We cling to it tenaciously. That's how God wants us to feel when we have the friendship of Jesus Christ. Does the friendship of Jesus Christ ignite in your heart a spark of hope? Do you ever have trials throughout the day and a prayer the thought of Jesus Christ 
the friendship with him ignites hope for you to move forward to the next hour, the next 12 hours, until that evening. The story is told of two crime syndicate power partners, Joe and Elmer. They were deeply involved with crime and hurting individuals. Circumstances led to their parting of ways. Joe continued deep in crime. His wife was as hard as nails. She didn't mind picking a fight with anyone. Elmer picked up a piece of literature that invited him to be at peace through Jesus Christ. He took it home and threw it in a drawer. One year went by, two years went by, he was still in that drawer. Things weren't going well for Elmer. The chaos and the trials that sometime God brings to each one of us to ignite that hope came to Elmer. And he was pilfering through his office desk and accidentally came upon that piece of literature. There was a phone number on that piece, and he dialed that phone number. He said, I need help. What does this all mean? What does it mean, peace in Jesus Christ? The man that answered the phone's name was Pete. He told him about the literature and wanted to know more, and they arranged to have some contact and some Bible studies. Elmer accepted Jesus Christ. Hope came into his heart. His life changed. He began to have peace. A hardened criminal began to have peace. A few months went by and Elmer one day said to Pete, I have an old friend deeply involved in crime. He's hurting a lot of people. He needs to hear this. Would you brave it? Pete said, okay, God will go with me. Where is he located? So Pete went to another city and found the house, knocked on the door, and Joe answered roughly, what do you want? I'm Pete. Your old buddy Elmer sent me here to talk to you. Yeah, I know Elmer. Come on into the kitchen. Let's talk. I'll give you five minutes. They sat down at the kitchen table. Pete looked him right into the eye. He said, Elmer isn't the same man you used to know. He accepted Jesus Christ and all his past is forgiven. He wants you to know Jesus also. All your past crime and sins and pains can be wiped away. Jesus died for you. He wants you to be a friend. Joe didn't know what to say. He was silent for a while. His wife was listening from the other room, as was a nine-year-old boy. His nine-year-old boy was named Bruce. The silence was finally broken. Joe said, okay. I want to hear more. And so they made arrangements to start Bible studies in his home. Weeks went by. Joe and his wife 
accepted Jesus Christ. The nine-year-old boy is today a pastor and evangelist in Phoenix, Arizona. He's not of our faith, but he, his mission is to try to bring young people to Jesus Christ. It's interesting, the dynamics of this, the dynamics of what an invitation to hope will do. That guy by the name of Joe, a hardened man, with five minutes of invitation to hope began to change his life. Sometimes it's something very simple. Sometimes a very simple contact with an individual. Just sometimes a very kind word or an invitational word is all that it takes. And then they want to hear more. And this is a very profound, we heard this excuse me, this gentleman, Pete, on the radio, talking about his experience. It was very profound. Sometimes we think we have to have weeks and maybe months of Bible study for people to take and get a decision, but sometimes when God's Spirit is working, a very brief invitation for hope can begin the process of a changed heart. And that happened with this gentleman, Joe. Jesus said, teach all nations to obey all the things I have told you. Give to the world the hope you have through Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it may be something so simple. Somebody does something for you. Somebody holds the door for you. And we could say thank you sometimes. And this has happened to me. Bless you. Suddenly they say, are you a Christian? And that suddenly begins the dialogue that's going on. A little tiny contact, a little invitational statement, a little tiny seed planted. That means that we have a lot to know and learn if we're to teach everything Jesus has taught us through his teaching and through his experience. But the invitation, when accompanied by the power of heaven, can be simple. Come. That's what Joe received from Pete that day. Come. Jesus really died for you. There's a way to have peace. Jesus wants you to be a friend. There's power in that. You know, some of the missions that are located in the center of downtown cities, those missions go out on the street and try to help individuals. And they often have prayer with individuals. And it changes their lives. It's very fascinating. There's a church in Victorville, an Adventist church. They have a burrito ministry. Once a month, they go out with all kinds of burritos out onto the streets. There's a lot of homeless people in Victorville. And they give the homeless people a burrito. And they invite them to have prayer. And they invite them to go to their church. It's interesting, very simple. But what if what I hope for doesn't happen? What if? That's another dynamic. It's another dimension of the hope issue that Christians need to understand. The Bible talks about that. 
Jesus was closely knit in bonds of holy friendship, Ellen White says, to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were probably the closest friends that Jesus had. <coughs> Lazarus became suddenly ill while Jesus was away, apparently in Galilee. The two sisters sent a message to him, he whom thou lovest is sick. Here is a direct appeal to Jesus. Here is a lady reaching out with pure hope to Jesus Christ, and she knew he could heal. The one you love is sick and not doing well. Jesus decided to delay, to going to Bethany. In fact, the disciples, we are told, seemed to sense that Jesus accepted the news coldly. This teaches us that God has a higher purpose. We can have our hope. We can have faith in the answer. We can have faith in Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, through this illustration, is telling us when we reach out to God, ultimately, he has a higher purpose for us than our own human thinking. And uh, he wants us to have faith in his knowledge of a higher purpose. Do we have faith in that? And do we have faith to rely upon his will and his answer? It was well known to the disciples at this time that Jesus' life was in danger in the Jerusalem area. Bethany was not too far from Jerusalem. Down on the way down to Jericho. They opposed his going to Judea, especially Thomas. But Jesus went. He's our savior. Somebody needed rescue. Something needed rescue. Something needed addressing. Jesus went. This brings up another principle which is often very difficult to see. One of the higher purposes in answering prayer is the glory of God. The God-directed outcome of an event has to be our bottom line. If we have a love relationship with Jesus Christ, ultimately we really want to have his glory first. And then if our will can, our wishes can follow, that's fine also. Many things are beyond our logic and beyond our understanding. Jesus told the disciples that the delay was for their sake. A higher good, a higher purpose. Martha was the first one to meet Jesus through her grief and indescribable pain, and by then he had passed away. I know that even now, notice this faith, this confidence. He's dead. His illness took over and he passed away. And here's what Martha is saying. I know that even now, whatsoever thou ask of God, he will give it to thee. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's the completeness. That's pushing the faith to the higher purpose of God's will. Jesus, the self-declared resurrection in the life, did raise Lazarus back to life. But this represents one of the great hopes that every Christian has. It is in the future. 
It's in the beyond tomorrow that we don't fully understand and we have to put our full hopes, our Christian hopes. In faith, we believe that God knows better than we do. It's kind of simple, isn't it? In faith, we believe that God knows better than we do, and so that's where our hope and then our faith is really to reach out to. From the corridors of eternity, the, the words come rolling down the planet Earth. Do you trust me even to the end? Can you go that far? Are you that close to me you can trust me even to the end? From 1960, excuse me, 1964 to 1982, Leonid Brezhnev was head of the Soviet Union and the Communist Party. His wife, Victoria Brezhnev, was a Christian. He was an atheist. He died November of 1982 and had a massive state funeral. During the funeral ceremony, Victoria marched up to his casket. She wasn't supposed to be there. She broke protocol and just stood by the casket at attention. No one was brave enough to interfere. She remained there motionless through the whole ceremony. Then the soldiers marched up at the end of the ceremony to close the casket. And they reached their hands to touch the casket and then she reached both hands into the casket so it couldn't be closed. And she made a cross on the chest of her deceased husband. Thousands of individuals saw the gesture that she had made. She was silently conveying by a gesture, a prayer wish, that in spite of the atheistic direction that this man had taken the nation, she was silently reaching out in a hope that perhaps the direction of this nation would become Christian. The power of life, the meaning of Jesus Christ, might enter the Soviet Union. In his death, Victoria Brezhnev dreamed of a better life, a better tomorrow for her country. The hope that the blood that dripped from the dying body of our Savior would cleanse that nation and reignite it to move heavenward in their goals and their objectives. Paul, through persecution, rejection, and toil, penned these words. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Our hope is in a better tomorrow. Our hope is that the complete will of Jesus Christ will be fulfilled. 
We have human hopes, but God says, can you reach and hold my hand and permit me to fulfill my hopes with yours? When the heart of Christians is a spirit-driven knowledge for a better someday, there's a conviction that heartaches and pain will disappear, and we all want that. We have the great text in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But between now and then, we have lots of reasons to hope. Hope in our friendship with Jesus Christ. Hope with so many, many issues that that friendship will stay clear and purpose-driven between now and that particular time. Oliver Goldsmith, he was an Irish physician. I don't know if he is a Christian or not, but he described hope in a very unique way, and I, I thought this would be of interest to share with you. Hope like the gleaming tapper's light. That's an old English word for a candle, tiny candlelight in, in the dark, a little tapper's light. They didn't have flashlights when this was written in the, in the 1800s. Adorns and cheers our way. And still as darker grows the night, emits a brighter ray. Isn't it beautiful? We have this hope. And as trials and problems and heartaches just come upon us, and I know everyone here this morning has some of those, the darker it gets, the lighter that little tapper candle will become, and the stronger will be the hope that's in our hearts. Someone wrote this. It's a letter from God. As you got up, I watched and hoped you would talk to me. This is God speaking. Just a few words, such as thanking me for something good in your life yesterday or even last week. But I noticed you were busy selecting the right clothes for work. I waited again to hear from you when you ran around the house collecting papers. I knew there would be a few minutes to stop and say hello, but you never slowed down. I wanted to tell you that I could help you accomplish more than you ever dreamed possible if you would just spend some of each day with me. At one point, you waited 15 minutes in a chair with nothing to do, and I waited to hear from you. Then I saw you spring to your feet. I thought you wanted to talk to me, but you ran to the phone and called a friend. I watched as off to work you went, and waited patiently all day long to hear from you. With all your activities, you were too busy to talk to me. I noticed at lunch you looked around and maybe you just felt embarrassed to talk to me. You glanced three tables over and noticed some of your friends talking to me before they ate, but you wouldn't. There was still more time left and I hoped that we would talk you went home and had many things to do and they were done and you turned on the TV. 
Just about anything goes there, and you spent several hours watching. I waited as you continued watching TV and ate your meal, but again, you didn't talk to me. At bedtime, you were totally tired, and you said goodnight to your family, and you plopped into bed and fell asleep. I had so much I wanted to be part of, so much wanted to be part of your day, and we could have had so much fun and accomplished so much together. I love you so much that I waited, that I wait every day for a thought, prayer or thanks. Well, maybe tomorrow I'll be waiting. Isn't it interesting? We have great themes of hope in the Bible that we can study, we can analyze, we can penetrate a great depth what their meaning is. Isn't it interesting? God has hopes too. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as erring human beings, we come to you at this moment, reaching out with weak hope and weak hearts because we're in this sinful world. But we know, Father, as we reach out that you can strengthen our faith, deepen our hope, Give us a craving for tomorrow when everything is going to be better. Father, I pray for this little group here today. I pray for each one of us that the Holy Spirit will infuse every heart that nothing in this life will detract from maturing our hope in you for tomorrow. But above everything, we want your will to be accomplished. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit will strive with each individual here that we may not disappoint your hopes that someday soon we will all be part of your family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.